it on. Great. Um, we turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, please. Um, you may be pleased to know I'm keeping the sermon shorter today. One reason was, you know, because there's no kids' church, and, you know, so the kids are being the sermon, but that obviously turned out not to be a good reason because none of them have turned up. Um, but also, someone who will remain nameless has not been happy that I've been creeping up to about 35 minutes recently, so... Um, keeping it short, let's get straight into the passage, as like I said, from Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, uh, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's not bad, that one, as prayers go, is it? Not bad at all. Paul mentions there, being uh, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And we've been talking about the life to the full that Jesus promises us, that he said he came to give us. And uh, recently, God's been really speaking to me through this passage, uh, speaking to me about that. So I just want to share it with you, as I said briefly. Now, Paul starts this prayer saying, for this reason... And if you look back to the start of uh, chapter 3, he also starts the chapter saying, for this reason. And when he says that, it means it's because of something he's previously said. The truth he's about to speak, the truth he was about to pray, is only true because of truths he's already spoken earlier in this letter of Ephesians. So we need to briefly consider what Paul has already said in the letter before he starts this prayer in chapter 3, verse 14. And briefly, just turn back to the start of Ephesians. Um, so it's just back maybe a page or so in your Bible or a couple of clicks on your phone, tablet, whatever. You see, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, just the kind of standard greeting you might get at the start of one of these letters. Um, and then from verse 3, we see Paul just starts pouring out who God is, all he's done for us. If you just look at verses 3 to 14 in your Bible, in the original Greek, that is a single sentence of over 200 words. It's like, then, if you look at 15 to 21, that's another single sentence of probably over 150 words in the original Greek. It's like, Paul would have been dictating this letter, and he's probably just, just pouring this out. This is pouring out of him as he speaks, all he feels inside about who God is and all he's done for him. It's just... It's just pouring out of him. He can't get it out quick enough. And there's some poor scribe there you've really got to feel sorry for, just trying to get this down as Paul speaks. Will you just take a breath, Paul? And he does, because eventually, 
through the book, the sentences get shorter than that. <laughs> but the subject doesn't change. The first three chapters of Ephesians are Paul just talking about who God is and all he's done, uh, including what he's done bringing together Jews and Gentiles in the church. Things like, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I could have gone on, I could have just obviously read the whole three chapters. But the point is, when Paul starts his prayer saying, for this reason, he means, because all of this I've just said is true, because we are forgiven, holy and blameless in his sight, brought near and raised up and seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, because of all that, he then says, I kneel before the Father. And we read that and we think, oh, he's kneeling down, well, that's just how you start praying. But it wouldn't have been the natural way for Paul to start praying. See, Paul was Jewish, and Jews didn't typically pray by kneeling down. The typical way for Jews to pray at that time was to stand up with hands raised towards God. Kneeling was how Gentiles would pray. By Gentiles, just mean any non-Jewish people. That's how they typically pray. Probably for a lot of these people in the Ephesian church is how they would have prayed to other gods before uh, they found out about Jesus and started following him. And the Ephesian church probably was majority Gentile. So Paul, for at least one reason, is doing this to identify with them. But there's also something symbolic about the posture of kneeling. It's a position of reverence. It's what people would have done when they came in before royalty. It says something about who God is as king and who we are in relation to him, king and servants. It's also, when you kneel, it's a position of inaction. When you kneel down, you're suddenly a lot more limited in what you can do, a lot, lot more limited in your range of movement. You can move about, but you're suddenly a lot slower. Much harder to move about than when you're standing. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message version of the Bible, said this, Kneeling is an act of retreating from the action so that I can perceive what the action is without me in it, without me taking up space, without me speaking my peace. On my knees, I am no longer in a position to flex my muscles. I assume a posture that lets me see what reality looks like without distorting the lens of either my timid avoidance or my aggressive domination. I set my agenda aside for the time and become still present to God. We've been looking recently, at this time, at barriers to having this life to the full. Last time I spoke, I talked about how fear and shame can hold us back and how that had been a struggle for me. Something else that can hold us back, I think, is losing hope for the future. We can get to a place of believing, it's always been like this, it's always going to be like this. We can believe that in all sorts of areas of our life, our health, our career, our finances, our relationship with God, everything really. 
can be we can think of like that so easily. Uh, famous psychologist Carl Jung believed that the, psycholo the psychological health could be defined by the difference between two things. The first is who you believe you are, and how you believe. Uh, first, who you believe you are, and how you believe other people see and perceive you. And the second thing is who you really are, and how other people really perceive you. And Carl Jung believed that achieving psychological health was largely about closing the gap between those two things, your perception of reality and the actual reality. And what Paul has done at the start of Ephesians is spoken about this heavenly reality. When he speaks of all God has done, he's saying this is the reality of what's true in the heavenly realms. But he's also aware that earthly reality can look very different. He's not ignorant of that. He most probably wrote this letter in prison where his crime was not anything terribly done wrong. It was simply following Jesus. He's not writing this letter from a position of privilege or saying, if you do all the right things and follow God, all your circumstances will be brilliant and life will be wonderful. That's not what he's saying at all. So we can't read this and then go, oh, it's easy for you to say, Paul, because, you know, following Jesus had led him to prison. And yet he's still pouring forth these amazing words about who God is. In this gap between the heavenly reality and our perception of reality that we have as we live on earth can define our spiritual health. When, when something inside you is saying all these things that Paul has said in the first three chapters of Ephesians about who God is, but there's something else inside you pulling in another direction telling you just how tough life can be, that can really impact your spiritual health, that gap between the two things, that cognitive dissonance. So there's two ways to close that gap. The first is just give up on that heavenly reality and just focus on life on earth, knuckle down, get through each day. The heavenly reality, well, maybe that's for after you die. But for now, yeah, just head down, muddle through the best you can, grin and bear it. The second way to close the gap is to make the heavenly reality your focus so that you become more and more you view everything in life through the lens of that heavenly reality. To accept that all Paul has written about God in Ephesians is true and allow that to change your perspective on everything else. Just to be clear, I'm not suggesting they're two equally good ways and you can just pick either and they'll both be fine. I do think one is better than the other. And I'm with Paul, he's, he's clearly here chosen the second option. <coughs> and even though following Jesus had seen him ending up in prison and eventually to, to be killed for his faith, these truths about who God is are just gushing out of him in these long run-on sentences because he's so caught up in the heavenly reality, he cannot contain him within it. Even in prison, he cannot stay silent about who God is and all God has done. Last time I spoke, uh, I talked about how neuroscience has shown that when you imagine something vividly, it has the same effect on your brain as when it, something really happens because it, it activates the same network of neurons and that you can use that fact to like, picture truth and that become transformative for you. And in particular, that day, as I said before, uh, I was talking about fear and shame and using that to see yourself 
freed of fear and shame or you're free of anything else you may be struggling with, anything else that may be holding you back from living life to the full. And I finished that sermon with a story about a painting, some of you may remember. For those who didn't hear the sermon or don't remember what I'm talking about, I said there's a picture in the National Gallery called The Virgin and Child with St. Jerome and Dominic uh, by a painter called Filippino Lippi, which for years people said was a flawed masterpiece because the perspective was all wrong until someone realised it was created to be on an altar and not on a wall, and that people would have gone to the altar and knelt there and seen it from a, a lower height. And it was only when an art critic re thought this, he knelt down in front of the painting in the National Gallery and saw the perspective wasn't wrong at all when you were in the right position, when you were kneeling. All right, I mention this again, because since I gave that sermon, I visited the National Gallery. And I've both stood and knelt in front of this painting, and I saw the perspective change. I'm not saying it was a massive change. It's not like, um, you know those hologram stickers, those silver foil ones that like give two different images when you look at different angles? It's not that kind of radical a change. There is a change. I could perceive it. It's probably much bigger. When you're an art expert and you know what you're talking about, it's probably a much bigger thing. Um, like I looked around, I went around other and saw these well, amazing masterpieces. I'm like, I'm not sure why this one's the most amazing masterpiece and this one next to it is not seen as a good. It looks better to me. I don't know. So I'm no expert on arts, but I could see that difference. Because that's what happens when you focus on the heavenly reality. Paul is kneeling before the Father so that his full focus and attention is on God and the heavenly reality. And then he prays. Starts with this. Um, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Again, it links to something he's already said in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Paul has talked about that power God has for us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the power available to us. That's the power Paul is praying we'd have. That's the power of the Spirit which lives within us. And that's the power we can so easily ignore when we f uh, focus on what we perceive as reality on earth instead of the heavenly reality. That's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And by extension, he says in there, for all who believe that this power would strengthen us. Why? He goes on, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The Greek word used here for dwell is actually a compound word that literally means to dwell down or settle down. It means Christ is not just a visitor, but a resident. I'm not talking about a visitation, but a habitation. Jesus has moved in to make himself at home. Again, we see Paul, is all, again, he's already talked about this in the letter at the end of chapter 2. I'll just read from verse 19 in chapter 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. 
and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's our mission in OCF, isn't it? It's become a habitation of the presence of God within the community. We nicked it from Paul, as you can see there quite clearly. Plagiarism. I think he'd be okay with it, though. Back to the prayer in Ephesians 3. Paul then says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Again, Paul's praying about something, this time love, that he's already mentioned in this letter. He's talked about God's love a few times, for example, in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Everything that we are, everything we have, comes from that love of God. God is love, nothing more, nothing less. And everything we have, even just as simple as the air we breathe, is only ours because of God. And we can know that in our heads, but Paul's prayer here for the Ephesians, and again for all followers of Jesus, is to not just know that in your heads, but to know that deeply inside. For the power of the Spirit of Christ that dwells within us to help us grasp just how loved we are, I don't know how deeply you feel you know that love right now. What I do know is, no matter how deeply you feel it, there's always a deeper level for you. Always. This is the journey of a lifetime, this prayer, to know how, uh, just how deep the love of God is for you. And so this morning, and every day, we'll just focus on this morning for now, God wants you to, right now, this morning, to know his love more deeply and why he goes on to say that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God this is what life to the full is we've been talking about this since I think April for looking at this life to the full and it's as Paul puts here it's to know the love of God more and more deeply every day to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. The more we understand that, the more that the Spirit's power just makes that clear to us, to see that heavenly reality, the more we have life to the full. See, the world keeps trying to tell us what life to the full is. Just look at adverts. They'll tell you it's about First of all, you've got to look amazing, have a perfect, healthy, ripped body, covered in expensive clothes and jewellery, so you just look wonderful. Then you need an equally attractive person as your partner, but the world will tell you it doesn't have to be the same person each night. You need a large, detached house filled with all the latest gadgets and technology, an expensive car or three in the driveway, regular foreign holidays, you need that beach of golden sand so you can show off that amazing body of yours. That's life to the full as the world sees it, but not as Paul sees it. For Paul, life to the full is to fully grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep the love of God is. And it's not a challenge we're set. 
It's not a life's work to try and figure it out for ourselves, work out how big the love of God is. We don't have to calculate all those dimensions for ourselves to work, get an idea of the size of it. No, we are given power to grasp this love. We just need to plug into the power source. That's what Jesus meant when he said we simply need to be attached to the vine. I cannot make myself grasp this love. No matter how hard I try myself, I cannot fully grasp this love. That's why Paul kneels before the Father, to focus on the power source, not everything else around him. Not his situation in prison. To put himself in a position to take time to just soak in the love of God. But Richard Foster defines a spiritual practice, sometimes called spiritual disciplines, but he used the term spiritual practice here. It's just a way of placing yourself where God can bless you. That could be in prayer, it could be in reading scripture, worshipping, fasting, all these different practices we have in the uh, way of life. They're all ways we just put ourselves in our, this place to receive God's ple- blessing, to access this power to stay attached to the vine. Paul, having experienced this love to the degree that he has, he wants it for the Ephesian church and again for all who follow Jesus. Paul wants this for us because it's the key to living life to its fullest. And as our grasp of that love gets bigger, everything else around gets smaller. Our desires for what the world says is life to the full, our problems, our fears, they all get smaller as God becomes bigger in our focus. So I want to make this prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3 my prayer. And I want you... I want to invite you to join with me in that, in making it not just your prayer, but making it our prayer as OCF. And I could suggest, well, what we could all do now is let's go and pray, each pray this for ourselves every day. But how much more powerful would it be if rather than everyone going home and prayed it for themselves, we went home and prayed it for the church. We went home and prayed it for everyone else. If we all go and pray it for ourselves, we've all got one person praying for us. If we all go and pray it for the church we've suddenly got a multitude of people all praying for each other. So I want to start by doing that right now this morning. One of the reasons I've kept this talk shorter is to leave time for prayer now. So rather than going straight back into worship, I want to invite you now to get into small groups um, and just pray this over one another. You could pray it word for word over one another if you like, literally, maybe lay hands on each person in your small group and read out the prayer. Or you may just want to pray more, just um, part of it may just inspire you to pray maybe more specific words or slightly different things over people. Um, Obviously, I'm not going to say you must pray this and not that. So pray what you want to, but maybe whether you pray this word for word or just prayers based around it. We'll pray for a bit uh, and then we'll come back together to, uh, to worship. So uh, I'm not going to close in prayer because we're all going to pray now in our groups. So away you go.